Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Good morning and welcome to the first day of school for (laughs) Michelle and Randy on 101 ESPN. Get to meet the teacher. We got our new notebooks. We're ready to rock and roll. And if you are tuning in to 101 ESPN, expecting to hear Bernie Miklas, our company locally made 20 cuts on Friday and across the eight stations of uh, or eight cities that Hubbard is in, at least every uh, 10 were cut in every market. Michelle, it's just a product of the the world that we're, we're living in now. And our friend Bernie was one of those victimized by the virus. You know, you've been watching the news, you know, a lot of people that have been affected by this in one way or another. And when it happens in your own house and in your own backyard, it's different. And it was really hard to get the news on Friday that not only Bernie would no longer be with the station, but that we lost 19 other of our co-workers who are no longer going to be working here. But with that being said, we love and respect them. And we know that they're going to have great next chapters and we'll miss them. And we hate the state of the world right now. It's, It's terrible in a lot of ways. But I am excited for this new chapter with you, Randy. And if this is the first day of school, I think we should get give everyone a syllabus, right? So they should know what they can expect from us. No doubt. And we're going to have fun. And you may have heard Michelle and I together in the past. And we've worked a lot together. (laughs) And I love Michelle and Michelle loves me, I know. Uh, But we've got a lot coming your way. We're going to have uh, a lot of fun segments. We're going to have a lot of great interviews. Uh, Tommy Freeze Pops is still with us as our producer. And I'm looking forward to it, too. It's going to be fun. You know, we'll try to entertain, inform, but... You know, we're just going to laugh a lot. We're going to try to laugh in the morning, especially now. We could all use a little bit of levity, right? Right. And here's the way our day is going to set up, because obviously I'm not in the fast lane anymore. So after our show from 10 to 11, Dan McLaughlin will be on every day. Scoops with Danny Mac from 10 to 11 every day here on 101 ESPN. From 11 to 2, Brandon Kylie gets promoted, and it'll be BK and Rivers from 11 until 2. And then at 2 o'clock, Anthony Stalter will take over this chair in the fast lane. It'll be Anthony, BT, and Ronj, along with Meat as their producer. And it'll just be a lot of fun here on 101 ESPN. And it's going to be different, at least for a little bit. And... I understand that. And you and I have talked about this. We've both tweeted it separately. We've spoken to Bernie. No one can fill Bernie's shoes. He is an institution. He's an icon. He's a legend. He stands alone. And so I know that we're not going to try to fill Bernie's shoes. And so what we are going to bring you is a show that's uniquely ours. And the same thing goes for the midday show and the fast lane as well. Anthony Salter is going to bring a whole new flavor to that. BK and Rivers is going to be a whole new look. So 
We understand that change is sometimes difficult, but give us a chance. Yeah, looking <laughs> forward to being with you every morning. And here we are without sports, and we're going to start with where we are with the coronavirus because we're now eight weeks removed from the last time we saw a game. We're going to reach the two-month mark without games this week, and sports is losing $12 billion in revenue, hundreds of thousands of jobs, of course, and it's an economic catastrophe that will more than double if we don't have college football and the NFL. We both assume we will. But let's get to the sports, Michelle, that we're missing right now. The latest on baseball, a report by USA Today's Bob Nightingale last week that baseball would start in late June and no later than July 2nd. They'd play at least 100 regular season games at home ballparks, so the Cardinals would play here. Upon first reading this, you kind of have a reaction because it's so different. You're thinking, "Mm, I don't know if I like this. But the, the stance that I have on sports right now is that one of these leagues is just going to have to rip off the Band-Aid and figure out a plan, get everyone on board, find a way to get testing available. And it's not going to look the way that we expect it to look. And it's probably going to be different for a while. But that's okay. We just need sports back in some way, shape, or form. And it's really important that commissioners and people in front offices do think outside the box. For example, playing with three 10-team divisions in Major League Baseball I think is a great idea. It would really consolidate travel, and it'll be something different and new for a year. And that's, I think you hit on the key, is to consolidate travel, because when you first look at this, you're thinking, I don't know if I like the regional divisions, etc. But it's important that baseball or the NHL, whichever league is attempting to do something new, is protecting the people involved. Late last week, the Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, Republican from Kentucky, was on 93.7 The Game in Louisville and talked about the possibility of getting sports rolling again. I called the commissioner of baseball a couple weeks ago and I said, America needs baseball. It's a sign of getting back to normal, any chance. And you may have heard there is discussion about having an abbreviated season beginning around the 4th of July where the teams would either play at their spring training sites in Arizona or Florida or, or or play at home to largely empty stadiums. But I think there's an active discussion underway uh, to salvage part of baseball season. And if we can salvage part of baseball, surely uh, we can salvage football as well. Not that there's any need for motivation because Major League Baseball, the NBA, the NHL, the NFL, they're all motivated by money. They all want to preserve the dollars. But I do believe two things. Number one, it helps to have political pressure applied Mm -hmm. to get back. And the politicians have to do the right thing, too. They have to make sure that everybody's going to be safe. And the other part of this is after 9-11, when baseball did come back, it did give us a little idea of normalcy and a little thought that, okay, yeah, we uh, we can see some light at the end of the tunnel. Well, I don't want to say that whichever league comes first is going to be heroes in a way, because obviously the frontline workers are are taking that, that torch. But to Mitch McConnell's point, it is going to provide a sense of normalcy, and it's going to give America something to rally behind. Whichever league comes out first is going to be what America rallies behind. Sports, for, for the 
the business side of it, it brings people together. It connects communities. Absolutely. It brings us hope. It brings a sense of excitement. It takes you away from the negative things you're experiencing in your life. And while you certainly want everyone to be healthy and everyone to be safe, that is something that America desperately needs right now. So I would love to be a fly on the wall in some of these league conversations because part of me wonders if it's kind of an arms race, if they're looking at it saying we're losing so much money and we want to be the first league to just figure something out and get out there and be the league that America rally rallies behind. Or if they're looking at the situation saying it's too risky, we want to kind of let another league go for it first and see how that plays out. And then we'll adjust accordingly. I think it's notable that we don't, Michelle, hear anything from Adam Silver and the NBA about definitive plans. The NHL, you've got cities reportedly applying to the league to become hub cities, and there would be four hub cities where teams would play. And by the way, St. Louis would be a possibility for one of those. We talked about uh, Major League Baseball and what they might do. We we know about the NFL and college football, the NFL expecting to be full go on opening day. But Adam Silver, who I think is the best and brightest commissioner, is basically saying, I don't know. And I think that's a smart thing to do. Anthony Fauci, uh, the renowned epidemiologist, said, we can't try to control this. We have to let the virus tell us what to do. And maybe the best quote came from Lyda Cruzen over the weekend when talking about concerts in St. Louis. She said, we're going to use data, not dates. And that's what you have to do. You have to follow the course of what, at least in my opinion, to be safe, you have to follow the course of what the virus is doing. Of course. And, you know, we've all been this. This situation is really interesting because we as humanity have lived through it together. You know, it's something that is very unique to us in this time of being alive. And so we all understand that this thing is evolving day to day. And that what we thought about this and the state of this yesterday is not likely what we'll know today. So if you are a commissioner of a league and you're responsible for the the athletes and the coaches and the essential people who, who will be deemed essential that are going to be working these games, that's a heavy responsibility. And I would be very reluctant if I was one of them to give a specific date or make any sort of definitive statements about anything because of the way this is ever evolving. Now, some sports are able to do that. You talked about the arms race. NASCAR is coming back. In a couple of weeks, they're going to return with seven races, including four Cup Series races over an 11-day span. Seven races in 11 days starting May 17th at Darlington. They're going to have two races at Dar- three races at Darlington and then four at Charlotte. But they're going to have fans in the stands. And the way it's going to work is that only li- licensed NASCAR team members are going to be allowed anywhere in the facility. They're going to be required to wear cloth face masks. Anyone who doesn't will be removed from the facility. Teams' work areas in the garage will be spread out to comply with social distancing guidelines. And teams are going to be limited to 16 total members, including the driver. So there are going to be certain limitations, but you'll be able to see those people making left turns. (laughs) I was just thinking, if they're going to remove someone, you know, you're not supposed to touch anyone. You're supposed to keep your distance. How are you supposed to remove someone (laughs) if they're not complying? (laughs) Exactly. So we'll see NASCAR in a couple of weeks. You talk about money. And seven races in 11 days, they're protecting the TV contracts that they have. That's all it is, right? Yes, but, I mean, you're you're people that are involved in this, you're certainly exhausting them, no pun intended. Yeah, 
no doubt. And we do have a thirst for competition, and so we're going to see that. We're also going to see the PGA. They're going to return with the Charles Schwab Challenge in June, June 11th through 14th, and they'll be playing every week too, once again, without fans. But I have found, Michelle, over the course of the last several weeks, at least with my game, it's very easy to socially distance from any other golfers on the course. I'm in a forest, and they're out in the fairway. I went out and played golf on Saturday. It was my first time out of the season. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's always a little rough anyway. But being confined to your house when you're kind of out of shape and, you know, the sun is a little brighter than normal, it was rough, Randy. It was very rough. <laughs> but at least you socially distanced. I did. Right? I did. And, you know, it was a situation where you wear your mask when you go in to give the money, you have to carry your clubs, you can't mm-hmm. use the carts, anything. there's wipes everywhere, and you're. it's very easy to keep your distance from other people. There was no flag, so you're not touching the flag that other people are touching. So when you look at the way that you can construct golf to be away from other people and not have to touch things, I'm kind of surprised golf didn't come back a little earlier. My bottom line here, Michelle, is that I think that Sports does set a tone for America. In addition to us loving it, I think that sports is a role model. And I just want these leagues, as much as I want sports back ASAP, I want these leagues to be doing the right thing because I think they show people, okay, here's what you can do now. Agreed. But I also think that's why it's even more important to be cautious because if they tried one of these and people got sick or something went awry, then it's a national catastrophe right. where people are very scared. Just do the right thing. Do it's the not right thing. that difficult. It is Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Michelle and Randy with you. Coming up, The Last Dance was on last night on ESPN, episodes five and six. We've got our Last Dance recap with our Last Dance insider, Michelle, next on 101 ESPN. We saw episodes five and six of Last Dance last night on ESPN, a look at the 97-98 Chicago Bulls, but really Michael Jordan's whole career. And Michelle Smallman is completely invested in Last Dance (laughs) and is our Last Dance insider here on Carriker and Smallman. It's essentially the Super Bowl, Randy. It's the Super (laughs) Bowl that we get every Sunday, and it's the fastest two hours of your week, and it's so incredibly well done from everything you hear shook ones now the soundtrack is on point the interviews are so candid i love that you can watch it with swear words in it (laughs) it just really adds something it feels so authentic to hear these guys kind of unleash and say whatever it is that happened and whatever it is they're feeling at that moment i vote espn lets athletes swear more i know the kids probably the parents don't like that for the kids but for me as an adult sitting there it really added something to the documentary and that's why you have espn too where they have the the non explicit version available. What struck you about last night? Well, the first thing for me is I love how they touched on the Jordan brand and Air Jordan and his collaboration with Nike and how basically that partnership and that relationship was serendipity. How he wanted to work with Converse first and then they didn't want to take a chance on him and then Adidas didn't have the capital to get his singular shoe done and the fact that his agent worked with tennis players and was very emphatic that he wanted his own shoe. The way that all of that happened happened was kind of meant to be but when you look at the landscape of the NBA more than any other professional sport the NBA players actually have power and part of the reason that they have power is because they're brands they are corporations for lack of a better term with their own shoes you know you have the Kevin Durant shoe you have the LeBron all of these different things they're doing endorsements so they have more of a say when it comes to the construct of their team and I 
the story may have been out there. I just wasn't aware of it. That Michael's mom forced him to go to Nike. Yes, he would have probably taken less. And I don't know what the other deals were. If Adidas at the time, as you mentioned, clearly didn't have the marketing ability that Nike had. But if not for his mom, he probably doesn't wind up with the Nike deal. And then the amount of money that they made was staggering, that they expected to make $3 million and wound up making $121 million over the first several years. Unbelievable. And Jordan said it best, he, that shoe doesn't have success unless he was successful on the court. So yeah. again, serendipity, the fact that Nike took a chance and gave him $250,000, which they said was outrageous at the time, especially for a rookie who was unproven, where most of these stars were getting about hundred k for their shoe not even their shoe deals for them to just be involved with the shoe brand. And so for Nike to take a chance on him and for him to kind of pick his third place choice in Nike and the fact that he had that specific agent that pushed for this, it was unprecedented at the time. And it ended up changing everything for NBA players and for a lot of athletes in general. No doubt, because when you see the endorsements that a guy like Tiger Woods or LeBron have now, or even Tom Brady, there were things that O.J. Simpson did in the 70s. He most famously had Hertz, but he had several others. But in terms of just collecting endorsements and having dozens of endorsements, David Falk and Michael Jordan set the tone for what we see now in athletes really being salespeople and being marketers. I thought it was interesting, Michelle, and I knew that he was a highly and is a highly competitive person. But the reason that he got competitive on the basketball court, getting upset about people saying that Clyde Drexler might be in his same class and using that as motivation in the finals against Portland, when you had the Tony Kukoc situation, the fact that his uh, general manager was so enamored of Tony Kukoc, the 93 finals that... Jerry Krause said that Kuko or that uh, Dan Marley was a good defensive player. He said, "Well, I'm just going to tear him to shreds." And then, of course, uh, maybe the most notable part of last night in terms of the competition was Michael being upset that he didn't win Most Valuable Player in '93, and he was in the finals against the MVP. I was a little bit upset that I didn't get the MVP that year, and they gave it to Charles Barkley. But with that said, okay, fine, you can have that. I'm gonna get this. I put it in my mindset that if I don't do this, then they're going to consider him on the same level as me. And that motivated me to attack. I I thought it was just amazing how he would use what he perceived as slights, and they weren't slights at all. People saying, oh, yeah, Clyde Rexler might be in the same class, or Charles Barkley wins an MVP. Even something as simple as the scene from the lobby in Barcelona where Ahmad Rashad said, Hey, if somebody's got to take a last shot for the dream team, who's it going to be? And he's like bewildered. He's, it's going to be me. Yeah, of Come course. On, what, what kind of a question is that? Right. The fact that he would use slights to motivate himself like that was remarkable. But you know, Randy, someone could say to me, oh, you're, you're never going to be as good as Bob Costas. And you're right. I There's no way I could summon it in myself to be as eloquent of a, of a speaker and of a broadcaster as Bob Costas. The fact that he could take those perceived slights and then turn the switch inside himself to be better than the elite of the elite, no matter what walk of life it is, is remarkable. The fact that he was that good, that he was competing at the highest level with the highest people, and then could find another gear because someone made him angry <laughs> is... 
it's otherworldly. It is. You know, who, I mean, who, do, who is that? Who, who does that? Who has that sort of talent and that that competitive drive? Yeah. I don't know because yeah, people could slight me all day, and I can't find that extra gear inside me to mm. to make myself better. And he could. He's superhuman in that yeah. way. He and he still is apparently. And I, I love, too, that that transcended to even his Nike collaboration when he was at at the Olympics. And he didn't yeah. he couldn't stand the thought of his competition and Reebok being shown <laughs> while he was getting his gold medal. And they pushed back on it. And his pettiness is elite, oh. too. I tweeted that last night. The way he wore the American flag. Who's going to complain about exactly. Michael Jordan wearing the American flag? <laughs> it was brilliant. Yeah, and the, the, the ride in the van. Wait till they see this. Wait till they see this. <laughs> and uh, before I move on, just to quickly talk, touch on K- Tony Kukos, how badly did you feel for him? Here's a guy oh, who is from war-torn Yugoslavia, Croatia, just trying to get to the league <laughs> and, and get a better life. And all of a sudden, he's stuck between this Jerry, Scotty, Michael, Jordan drama, and they're trying to embarrass him. He's just trying to ball out, yeah. poor guy. Unreal. Unreal. Okay, well, the next thing that really stuck with me, Randy, is... When they showed Michael Jordan and what an international brand and an international superstar he had become because of the Nike deal, because of his success on the court, because of the dream team, and what it was like for him the second he took one step out of his hotel room, how it was constant media pressure, how it was constant fan interaction, it was constant scrutiny. No matter what he did, someone was looking to find fault with it, and he was just mobbed at all times. And I thought, you know, everybody thinks about what it would be like to be rich, famous, athletic, talented, all of those things, but it must be incredibly isolating and lonely at the top. Because even his own teammates who were having equal amounts of success in Dennis Rodman could take a vacation in the middle of a championship run and go to Vegas and it's not this massive thing. Jordan is gambling at golf, et cetera, and it's blown into this huge thing because he is Michael Jordan and because everybody wants to be like Mike and it's the one misstep, if you will, which I don't even think it was that big of a deal. Now in 2020, we would look at that and laugh and say, he's gambling, who cares? Um But I just thought, wow, that must have been a very lonely place for him to have to occupy, and the pressure must have been immense. And I thought the scene in the hotel room was really interesting. That He said he he didn't like being Michael Jordan at that point. And here he is, he's the same age as me, and he's still getting mobbed years after he last played. He also was ahead of his time, Michelle, in that... He he wasn't willing to take a stand, and it used to be that they people would ask big athletes, "Okay, wh- where do you stand on this?" Some took a stand, like Muhammad Ali. Michael had a lot of money at stake, and so he said to his teammates, "He said, uh, well, I'm not going to say anything because Republicans buy sneakers too.'" I don't think that statement needs to be corrected because I said it in jest, you know, on a bus with you know with Horace Grant and Scottie Pippen and. It was, you know, thrown off the cuff. My mother asked to do a PSA for Harvey Gantt. And I said, look, mom, I'm not speaking out of pocket about someone I don't know. But I will send a contribution to support him, which is what I did. That was a Senate race in his home state of North Carolina. And he's, and especially now, but then he understood that he was going to polarize half of his audience. Why do that? If you can protect your brand 
then there's no reason for you to let people know what your politics are. And I thought it was incredibly unfair for a lot of people to judge him for not speaking out because of what I just said. They're not in his very lucrative shoes. Mm -hmm. They don't know what the pressure is like and how many people are depending on him. And you're right. If he would have come out and, and said anything even remotely political at that time, he would have alienated a lot of people. And then guess what? It's more questions that he has to answer. It's people within Nike or people within the Bulls upset with him because he has alienated part of their audience. Mm -hmm. It just seems like it's very easy for us to sit back and say, hey, this is a, a cause maybe you should have spoken out on if you were, in fact, passionate about it. And I understand why people may have been disappointed, but they don't know what it's like to be him. And we see it with athletes all the time now who speak about, out about causes or things that they're passionate about mm -hmm. and the blowback that they get. And I understand the the notion that you would want to sit there and say, I'm already dealing with all of this media. I don't I don't want to add another log to that fire. Mm -hmm. He just wanted to play basketball and be great at it. Right. Uh, we each have one more thing. What did, what was your uh, third take? I think it's really interesting when you look at someone like Michael Jordan and, and Phil Jackson in the 90s Bulls or, you know, Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, any sort of dynasty that exists for a long period of time. If you look behind them and the trail of unfinished careers and broken hearts and dreams that are squashed because of their singular success, it's unbelievable. We've gone through six episodes now of this. And how many teams did we see fall short because Jordan found that extra gear and turned it on and was able to be Superman? Or how many fan bases felt like they had a team that could compete with Jordan and then they couldn't? I mean, even on an international stage, you talk about Croatia feeling like mm -hmm. they had it and they could go out and beat the dream team. It, it's just amazing that one person could cause that much heartbreak for so many sports that's, fans. That's a great point. And my last one, maybe my favorite scene last night was when he was basically in control of player tickets and Randy Brown comes into uh, the little office area and says, hey, I need two. And Michael said, where? And he said, just need to get them in the building. If, if they're up there with God, I don't care. So Michael <laughs> hands him a pair of tickets. And he said, where do you want these tickets to be? And he said, I don't care if they're up there with God. And he said, you just tell them that that's who you got them from. <laughs> <laughs> Good line. <laughs> it was fantastic. Uh, that is our recap of last night's segment, our uh, weekly look at Last Dance here on 101 ESPN. Coming up, John Kelly, feeling better, doing better. The TV voice of the blues is next on 101 ESPN. It's Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN with Michelle Smallman. I am Randy Carriker, and it's time for our Blues booth. And we head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. And our friend, the TV voice of the Blues on FS Midwest, John Kelly, joins us. JK, good to have you with us. Hope you're doing well. Yeah, doing fine, Randy. How are you guys today? Everything's good. And I want to start with this because uh, you participated in a study last week. You donated plasma. Uh, and as you overcame the coronavirus, I'm sure that they wanted to learn about your body. Take us through that experience. What were they trying to find out and what did you have to do? Well, I just, you know, donated blood. And it's, it's a rather simple procedure. It takes about two hours total. Um, you know, what they do, is, it's quite amazing with the technology, Randy, and I'm sure it's been around for a while, but, you know, they, they take the blood out of, out of one of your arms and it goes through a machine and that extracts your, I think, I believe it's your platelets in your plasma, and then it goes back into your body via your other arm. And, you know, as I said, it takes around two hours. It's, it's painless, except for, you know, when they put the needle in, which is not a big deal, even for someone who is 
as wimpy as me. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's, it's a study that Washington University is doing, and I know there are a lot of studies like it around the country and perhaps around the world. So, you know, they feel, obviously, Randy, that if, if you get somebody's plasma who has the antibodies to the coronavirus, then that can help um, those particular people get better. So, you know, when someone asked me to do it, it was a friend of mine from Wash U. I, I volunteered, and uh, it was an easy procedure. And if I can make somebody better or perhaps save a life, then that's fantastic. Absolutely, John. So before we welcomed you into the conversation, Randy and I were talking about The Last Dance, the ESPN docuseries on Michael Jordan and the 90s Bulls. And we were talking about moments of greatness that Randy and I had witnessed in the, in the commercial break. And I'm just curious, as a broadcaster, as a fan, doesn't have to be hockey, what's one moment, moment of greatness that you can remember witnessing in sports? Just an individual performance of greatness. Wow, that's a tough question. <laughs> I'm an old guy, as you know, Michelle, so I, I've seen a lot. Um, you know, personally, um, I would have to say David Freeze's um, two home run game, and I guess it was the 06 World Series. Is that right, Randy and Michelle? 2011. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. You know, I was in Canada watching that game on TV, and it was, I would say, it was the greatest sporting event I've ever seen. Hmm. And, you know, I know that David Freeze, you know, is not a Hall of Famer and had a good career and a local boy. But, you know, that performance that night to me was it was obviously so clutch and it was just an amazing game and an amazing performance by David Freeze. So I would pick that one. J.K., one that I know you'll remember, and it was kind of Jordan-esque, was that 1988 NHL All-Star game here where Mario had three goals, three assists, including the winner. And here are all the best players in hockey, and Mario dominated that game. Yeah, um, I wasn't at the game, Randy. Uh, I know my dad broadcast the game and introduced the players, but yeah, that was obviously an amazing performance by one of the greatest players in NHL history. So, but well, you know, you asked me a question like that, I could I could go to the '86 Masters and and remember watching on TV when my idol Jack Nicklaus won the Green Jacket. I mean, that to me is one of the greatest accomplishments in the history of sports. Um, I'm not sure exactly how old he was at the time, maybe 46 or 44. Um, you know, to me, that really. That really sticks out as well when Nicholas won the green jacket in 86. John, we're all fiending for sports. We are reading every update that we're getting from the various leagues about the potential plans they have to return sports to America. And for the NHL, the latest plan is about the hub cities and how different cities would serve as hosts to every team. Uh, in your opinion, what would make a really great hub city or which city would, outside of St. Louis do you think would be a great place for the NHL to bring hockey back to America? Well, in the Central Division, Michelle, I think that Minnesota would be a very good hub city. Um, there's a hotel right across the the street, basically, from XL Energy Center, and there are numerous hotels in, in St. Paul, and, and Minneapolis is only, you know, 15 minutes away by by, by uh, car. So, you know, the rink is, is uh, one of the newer rinks in the NHL. It's fantastic. I believe they have the locker room capabilities. They, they've said that they need at least four NHL locker rooms to to host the teams. So I would think that you know the Twin Cities would be a very good place. They've mentioned Dallas, but I don't quite honestly know a lot about you know where the practice rinks are in Dallas and things like that. Um, obviously, American Airlines Center is a very 
you know, up-to-date arena. It's, it's beautiful. It's right downtown. They have a ton of hotel space. But there's a lot of different criteria. But I think we all know that the number one criteria is, is going to be, you know, how prevalent is the coronavirus in that particular city at the time when they're hoping to play. So it, it really is up to the authorities and the, the counties and the cities to see if, if they'll allow us to play in those particular cities. But uh, off the top of my head in the central, I'd love to see it obviously in St. Louis at Enterprise Center. Um, but if it's not there, I think Minnesota would be a great place. J.K., obviously safety from the coronavirus is a huge concern, but hockey is unusual because hockey players, they're skating in August, a month before training camp starts, and they really don't spend an awful lot of time off the ice. Now they've been off the ice, heck, for a couple of months. It'll be interesting to see, and I hope there is a way to protect against injuries, but it'll be interesting to see how a plan working up to the start of games looks. Yeah, and there are just so many questions right now, Randy. Um, as we know that the border between the United States and Canada right now is not open except for essential travel. And I, I saw something yesterday from a government official saying that, you know, if we were to say the players come back today, well, could a player like David Perron, who might be in Sherbrooke, Quebec, would he be allowed to travel back to St. Louis? Because would that be considered essential travel? So at that point, at this point, rather, I don't know. Now, things could change in a week or two or a month, but that's, that's number one. You know, if they're going to start these informal workouts in, in mid to late May, then it's quite obvious you've got to get the players back, and that's not even taking into consideration the players that have gone home to Europe. So there are a lot of hurdles to overcome, but it's, I think they're going to take it day by day, week by week, and see where they are. Um, but, you know, obviously it's very unique, Randy, because the players, as far as we know, they aren't skating. But I do remember, Randy, back in the 12-13 lockout, you know, I don't think they had that long a training camp. I'm going to say maybe uh, 10 days or so. Um, but the difference is, obviously, during that time, the players could skate. So that's the big thing. Now, I think the players are going to come back, you know, say they come back in early June and have a camp. I think overall they'll be in very good shape because these guys are, are great athletes and they're so in tune with their bodies and, and nutrition and things like that. I think they'll be in good shape, but they won't be in skating shape, and that's the difference. So, you know, it's sort of obviously uncharted territory as far as players coming back and working out and not really having skated. So they're going to have to be careful and obviously take the concern of the players um, that will be first and foremost, no question. John Kelly, good to hear your voice. Glad you're feeling well. Thanks so much for the time, and we'll talk to you soon. Okay, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. See you, JK. That is the voice of the blues on FS Midwest, John Kelly. Coming up next, we've got a new feature here because this is a new show, Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Wake up or snooze. It's coming your way here on 101 ESPN. There you go. Little James Brown here in the morning on 101 ESPN. Freeze Pops is the official producer of Carriker and Smallman in the morning. And he has some wake up or snooze questions for us. And basically radio is like a thing where we rip things off. So uh, this is kind of take it or leave it with a different name. Truth or trash with a different name. Yeah. True or poo with a different name. Right. But it's, uh, it's like wake it or... up or snooze. So if we like it, we're going to, hey, wake up. Or if we don't like it, we're going to snooze on it. Okay, I have one before Freeze Pops gets started. Fire away. Randy, you're a noted Belichick Brady, even though Brady's no longer with them, Patriots hater. Yes. 
as we're looking at our screen here, yeah. old boy Tommy Freeze Pops has a Patriot shirt on. Wake up our snooze. It's going to be difficult for you to work with a Pats fan every day. Um, <laughs> maybe uh, two years ago I would have said wake up. Now snooze. It's, uh, that's basically what Patriots fans are going to be doing for the next 10 oh. years. Oh, <laughs> uh, come on, man. That's really, really low blow, But is man. it true? We're trying to figure out this quarterback situation. Yeah, it's completely true. We're going to suck. I'm fully prepared to suck. Jared Stidham. That's right. Stid. We love Stid. Now he's going to suck. It's going to suck. All right. Take it away, big boy. All right, guys. So uh, our first Wake Up or Snooze topic here. Uh, MLB.com came out with their list of the 10 strangest trades in baseball history, and one of them really caught my eye. It was the great Dave Winfield. He got traded for a dinner back in 1994 during the players' strike. Take it or leave it, insane trades in baseball history. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wake up on that one. There was a guy that got traded for a live turkey. There have been people that have been traded uh, literally for a bag of balls. So I'm going to uh, I'm going to uh, I'm going to wake up on that. I love crazy trades. I'm going to snooze. Imagine being Dave Winfield and, you know, you're informed that you get traded and you say, OK, well, you know, was it cash? Was it another player? And they say, no, it was a dinner. <laughs> a di- and that's such a loose you know, there's no mm-hmm. actual concrete. Okay, it's going to be a filet mignon at X restaurant. The tab's going to be worth a thousand dollars. You could literally be traded for a burrito. You literally could. Yeah, that's not. A, <laughs> is that bad? Burritos are good. Yeah, but you know, I I would like to be part of maybe a blockbuster or you know something to where they're like, hey, the, we couldn't turn down the money to where you can walk away with your dignity intact. Yeah. You got traded for a burrito or for a quote dinner. It's a bummer, so I'm going to snooze on that one. As long as it was delicious. One time uh, back in the mid-'80s, the Cardinals got Neil Allen. He was one of the guys that got in the Keith Hernandez trade from the Mets. And a couple of years later, they traded Neil Allen to the Yankees for future considerations. Uh, originally, it was supposed to be cash considerations, but he pitched so poorly for the Yankees that it wound up being nothing. So the future Neil Allen uh, got traded for future considerations that wound up being nothing. <laughs> It's pretty brutal. <laughs> and if you're Dave Winfield, by the way, you don't even get the dinner. These only, these only no. happen in baseball. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> All right, guys, the next topic here for Wake Up or Snooze, I'm going to say it right this time. I said take it or leave it for the last topic. <laughs> uh, Mizzou and Kansas revive their border war rivalry starting in 2025. Ta- uh, I see I did it wrong again. Wake Up or Snooze, Missouri and Kansas renewing their rivalry game in 2025 i'm waking up and i'm jumping all the way out of bed i think that college football college basketball they need more true rivalries i think it's kind of the lifeblood of those sports gosh especially college basketball Mm -hmm. we could use a lot a little bit more rivalries in college basketball but mizzou kansas they hate each other it's ingrained in them to hate one another mizzou illinois we're kind of like meh you're annoying it's like swatting a fly we don't hate each other because we're we don't really have you know you played the bragging rights game maybe once a year it's kind of like eh. that football rivalry was awesome though. yeah if you want to call it a rivalry randy (laughs) i call it a beat down from where i sit on the (laughs) illinois side 
good. But, um, you know, the basketball, well, actually, Mizzou beat Illinois this year. So moving on, moving on, moving on. But I think this is great. I think it's long overdue. I love that Mizzou and Kansas are doing this, and I think it's going to really, really breathe some much-needed life back into that rivalry. I am going to wake up on it as well. I'm glad to see the athletic administration at Kansas is finally acting like grown-ups <laughs> and not acting like petulant children who had one of their toys taken away because Mizzou moved to the SEC. It's great to see. It's not going to start till 2025, but the two teams are both going to take advantage of the ability to make a lot of money and to pacify their fans because as great as some of the rivalries in the SEC might get or as great as the K-State rivalry might get for KU, there is no other rivalry for these two schools like the one between Missouri and Kansas. So kudos to them for making it happen. Guys, the next topic here for Wake Up or Snooze. Albert Pujols spoke with ESPN late last week talking about how his long-term deal with the Angels is coming to an end at the end of this season. And he said, it's my last year under contract, but that doesn't mean I can't keep playing. Wake Up or Snooze, Albert Pujols continuing to play after this monster deal with the Angels ends at the end of 2020. I'm going to snooze on that one. Nobody's going to sign Albert, certainly at the money that he would anticipate. And he's not going to perform well enough. We love the guy, but he's not going to perform well enough at the age of 40 or 41 for a team to sign him. So I'm going to snooze on him playing any more beyond this contract. I'm going to snooze too, but with a caveat. I I think this decision is going to be taken out of his hands, as you mentioned. It is not going to be a Brett Favre situation where we have an Edwarder on his lawn <laughs> saying, hey, what are you doing? I think everyone is going to say, hey, great run, but we just don't have the money, especially now yeah. with, with teams and organizations losing money by the, by the second uh, I think the way that they approach long-term deals might be different moving forward. And not that Albert would get a long-term deal or a big-term deal, but he's certainly not going to say, hey, I'll come back for league minimum. Right. And I think when they're looking at, at the landscape of their team, it's probably something they can move on from. But, you know, we talk about Michael Jordan and the all-time competitive guys that we have ever seen play any sport. And Albert Pujols is on that list. Right. Yadier Molina is on that list. These are guys that live eat, breathe their craft in baseball. And for them to walk away from that is going to be very difficult. And at the end of that contract, at the end of the 2021 season, Albert's going to be 41 years old. So it's unlikely, at least I think it's unlikely, that a team would be willing to sign him. Guys, Willie McGee spoke with the commish in the St. Louis Post-Dispatch about all the young outfielders that have been vying for these spots in the outfield for the 2020 season. And he had this to say about Dylan Carlson. Oh, man, he hits the ball hard from both sides of the plate, runs better than it looks. Outstanding outfielder, just a good athlete. Wake up or snooze on Willie McGee's comments about the phenom, Dylan Carlson. I'm going to wake up. And by the way, this is not Commissioner Manfred. This is Rick Hummel yes. from STL Today. But we had a chance to see Dylan Carlson and get a read on his demeanor back at the first spring training. And I am, I'm waking up on Dylan Carlson. I am bullish on his ability and his uh, already ascent to being a major league player. I think he's ready now. I'm going to wake up as well to hear Willie McGee before he gets into the meat of what he has to say, pause to say, oh, man, when he's describing him, tells you that watching Dylan Carlson has made an impact on him. It's not just, oh, I'm going to say something positive. It's this guy is special. And I'm definitely going to wake up on that one. Thanks, Reese Pops.
Thank you, guys. Freeze Pops with us on Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Coming up, we're going to take a, another look at whether or not baseball or hockey or basketball should come back sooner rather than later. That's next on 101 ESPN.